0: So in Romans 4, verse 16, it says, therefore it is of faith, it is of absolute dependence that it might be by grace, absolute, pure grace, no merit, no desert desert on our part, to the end that the promise might be absolutely sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law but that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. This verse is teaching us that this was a promise, and the promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and in Genesis 17, verse 5, was the promise of Abraham and to his seed to the Jews who were his earthly people. But to us, this also was a promise. Uh, And just like they, and us from the dust of the earth where we were created, but also to us, to the stars of the heaven, like the church that we are. This is a promise that was given to us. And it was a promise that was given to the physical seed of those that were of the earth in terms of Abraham's people, the Jews, but also to us, the spiritual seed of heaven. And verse 17 says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations uh, before whom, or in other words, like unto whom he believed. Even God who quickens or imparts life to those that were spiritually dead. And he calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope, who against everything that came against the hope and the guarantee believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. And of course, that which was spoken was by God in a promise who can't lie. And so that's why his seed would be. Verse 19, King James and many versions say, and being not weak in faith, where it says he considered not his own body, is dead, the Greek means, literally says, that he considered his own body that was now dead. It's not that he turned away and said, oh, I'm not going to look at the fact that my body is now dead and I can't reproduce the seed that's supposed to come through. It's not saying that. The Greek says he looked right at his own dead body, looked straight at it, his body that was now dead when he was a 100 years old. You're not going to do much at a 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief is that really true from a natural standpoint point did Abraham actually father of our faith stagger <laughs> I mean did he actually do that I mean at the end of Genesis the sixteenth chapter, were there thirteen silent years thirteen silent years where yeah He wasn't communicating with God. There were 13 silent years. The father of our faith, did he actually stay? When Christ appeared to him, God, the the pre-incarnate Christ appeared to him in Genesis 17, verse 1, and said, I'm the Lord God Almighty. Walk thou perfect before me. Well, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. That must be God's viewpoint. (laughs) But was strong in faith. What little, tiny little faith that he had. He was giving glory to God. God was glorified even in that little bit of faith. And being fully persuaded (laughs) that what God, he, had promised, well, he was able also to perform. Because he was only going to perform what he already promised and what he promised. He couldn't lie, so he must be able to perform it. And therefore, on account of that, it was imputed or reckoned to him, put to his account, that he was righteous. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. See, that's why we have all those Old Testament things written. It was not only written for him and for all those, but it was written not for his sake alone, that it was imputed, that God reckoned it to him through his little faith, even though he staggered thirteen silent years, father of our faith <laughs> failed mm-hmm. but it was written that it was imputed to him but for us also to whom it will be imputed or reckoned to their account who are going to believe just like Abraham and if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses? Isn't that interesting. Christ was delivered for everything that would offend God in His perfect holiness and His perfect righteousness. So He was delivered in death on the cross for that purpose, that we would be delivered from our offenses. But He was raised up again for our justification. So He was raised again. So that you and I, in his resurrection life, when we would receive it, would be cleared of all guilt, would be absolutely justified. Therefore, in Romans 5, verse 1, based upon what we just read, being justified, being cleared of all guilt by faith, or in other words, by absolute dependence upon Christ, who he is and what he's done, we have peace with God we already have that peace with God how through our Lord Jesus Christ so it wasn't anything on our part at all it was a faith that it could that it would only be by absolute grace pure grace because grace is never who i am or what i've done it's always who Christ is and what he's done and based upon that we are absolutely cleared in God's courtroom of all guilt we have been Justified, So being justified by this absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom or through whom, in Romans 5, verse 2, also we have access by absolute dependence, faith, into this grace, this grace, which is here in Christ's grace alone wherein we stand because this grace has given us our standing our position and it's in christ so therefore we can rejoice in the hope the absolute guarantee of of the glory of god romans 5 verse 6 for when we were yet without strength we had nothing in ourselves no strength no power no might In due time, in God's absolutely perfect time, because his timing is always perfect, just like as as important as his provision, as we said recently, so is his timing for everything. So in the perfect time in Galatians 4.4, Christ died for the ungodly. That's who we died for. So, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, and again, this is a contrasting conjunction. There's a contrast. There's man in his best that wouldn't even dare die, for one. But yet God, and here's the contrast, and the contrast is, here's God and here's man. Here's man without God, and here's God for man. That's the contrast. A conjunction uh, separates the two. But God, God wants us to be separated from the old and function in the new, to think in the new. But God, he commended his love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, while we were busy sinning, (laughs) Christ died for us in a love that was for us, to reveal the heart of his Father. So then much more then, far much more, being now justified, being now cleared of all guilt, because we received him who took it all on himself. We are are being now justified by his blood. We will be saved from wrath through him for if and we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we will be saved by his life we will keep on experiencing deliverance through his life because again he was delivered for our offenses for every single thing that could that Possibly God could have used to condemn us. He condemned in his son. So because of that, now we, he, when he was raised again, he was raised again for the fact that we, he is our justification or the one who's cleared us from all guilt. And so if, and we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled in his son we will be saved by his life, the life that is now ours, in Colossians 3, verse 4. But not only so, in Romans 5, 11, but we also joy in God. Because everything's been removed, everything's out of the way, everything has been dealt with, and God loves us. And that that first cause, that love, in Galatians 5, the first fruit of that is joy. And then, of course, the next one is peace. But not only so, we also joy in God. In other words, we can experience the same joy that God has in his Son for us. We can joy in, in God through, or because of, and through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom and through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Not the atonement, it's not a true word in the original. It's the reconciliation. We have been Reconciled, so our whole experience should be one of joy because we are loved and that's what we have to grow in so Colossians 1 verse 20 and having made peace really it's not even having in the original it's and making peace (laughs) so the word really is not having but making having made peace making peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether the things in earth or things in heaven. And you, who's the you, all those that received him, that were sometimes alienated. And you know oh, how the enemy loves to alienate believers. He loves to alienate Christians. He loves to alienate marriages. He loves to alienate all kinds of relationships, those that are already in Christ but in you that were sometimes alienated, and you and I were alienated at that time because we were enemies in our mind by those wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. He wants us to live in the now, in the body of his flesh through death to present you, that would be us, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, so what's God's sight of us? If we are unblameable or holy, unblameable, and unreprovable, and in God's sight, who are we in? We're in Christ. That that's God's view of us. At all times. At all times. That is his absolute view of us. The citizen this isn't at all what I was going to preach on not at all what I had prepared but God had it prepared so if this is true about us and the facts are in the word of God then how do we get peace how do we get peace well we read that he made peace by the blood of his cross we read in Romans 5 1 that we were justified by faith and because of that we do have peace with God not going to get it sometime we have peace with God Because in Ephesians 2.14, Christ is our peace, having made peace by the blood of his cross. And so, should you and I think that it's presumptuous to be at peace with God in the fact and assurance of his absolute favor and grace towards us at all times. And if so, having made that peace through grace, that we have this salvation, this absolute deliverance, and should we experience that? And if and and should we? And should it be presumptuous of us to think so? <laughs> well, then how many do we actually see enjoying this divine favor, this divine grace? How many of us really experience it? Who do we really see it in? Is that it's really real in their life and in their experience? Well. Someone would say, I see it in others, but I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to get it. I'm saved, but I don't know how to get it. And by not having it, it leaves me distressed if I think of it, that I don't have that peace, that I don't experience it. Though, I, like a lot of Christians, I just get by day by day. I'm just getting on day by day as other Christians do But when that question of the peace of God is raised, I know that I am not at peace. And I know at times in my experience, a good part of it is that I'm not assured of God's divine favor and his grace resting on me. And I don't see it in myself as I see it in others, enjoying it, enjoying that peace. And of course, it's a serious thing because if we are justified by faith, and we do have peace with God, as some would say that we have it. And as as some of us as believers, we know we have it in Scripture because Scripture says it. But yet, I don't have that peace with God in my experience. Well, then how? And then can I be assured of myself being justified or cleared of all guilt? How can I know that? Even though it says it in Romans 3, verses 24 and 25, and as we read in Romans 4, verse Twenty-five. Well, why is it that we don't have that peace? Why don't we have that true knowledge of justification by faith? Why, and therefore we don't have peace? And I can say, and most times that, like a lot, that we are not justified. I, I, you know, I don't. I don't say that you and other believers aren't justified, are cleared of all all guilt in God's sight. But then our conscience, and this is the key, some of our consciences don't have the true possession of it, the true possession of the fact that we truly are cleared of all guilt. That really and truly, he was crucified. And caused to be dead because of our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification, so for our peace. So, like a lot, like a lot of teaching, and uh, we thank God for the reformers they brought back in the Reformation period, Luther and all those, back in the 1500s, they brought back justification by faith. By faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, they did. But they also taught that if a man did not have assurance of his own salvation, if he didn't absolutely have the assurance of his own salvation, then he couldn't be justified at all. Very bad teaching, because they missed the whole point of the growth truths, the positional truths, those truths, those foundational truths of who we are in Christ. But the fact of the matter is that when we read Acts thirteen thirty nine. It simply says that all those that believe in Jesus Christ are justified of all things. I mean, all things. It doesn't have anything to do with our feelings. It has everything to do with our dependence by faith, apart from feelings, upon the very merit and grace of Jesus Christ that he did towards his Father on our behalf and in place of us. Now, we need to obviously know what it's like that in God's sight we have been justified, cleared of all guilt about all things. We need to be taught that continually. But until we see that as taught of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's brought out in 1 Corinthians 2, 9-16, that is brought out in Romans chapter 10 verses 13 to 15 because you and I have to be taught by the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit has to take the things of Christ show them unto us in John 16 13 and 14 and we have that unction that unction is the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2 20 and we don't have any need about just any old man to teach us but we have the anointing we do we are God's anointing. We have the Holy Spirit. And he teaches us all things because he's the one that knows all those things through Christ. And we have it. But until we have this, this, is taught by God. And until we're taught by God through the Holy Spirit that we have these things in Christ. And until we are apprehended by those things of the very value of Christ's work, we won't have any consciousness of it in our own soul. We won't. We won't have it. And of course, even as earnestly we desire it, to that measure, that we don't have it, how much more painful is it when we do have it as our experience? It is ours and our position. But we need to know, and we need to be taught, till we know that we are in Christ. We are in him. Mm -hmm. As well as that Christ died for us. He not only died for us, but he's placed us in him. We are in him. And that the Christian, as a Christian, just getting by day to day, just becomes a false and hollow thing. Which, of course, at some point or sometime, otherwise, God is going to break that up in us, just getting by day by day, he's going to break that up. Because why? Because it's that very thing that often causes distress in our lives. Just getting by day by day, just barely making it day by day. It's that kind of thing truthfully and really that on a deathbed with Christian causes distress because they haven't yet in their experience they don't yet have the peace that is in their position they don't have peace so and when we don't have that in our experience the character of Christian activity in us it's not very healthy and it becomes something that's made a business of to go and try and prove it And to bring it about. And you know what it becomes for a lot of Christians? It just becomes a kind of means of getting happy. That's all Christianity becomes. When we don't have the truth about who we are in Christ, what he's accomplished, who we are in him, and who he is in us, we will never experience the peace that he is, the peace that he's given us. He is our very peace. And that's what I mean by it becomes christianity just becomes like a business and, and kinds of a mean it's a means now of just being happy getting happy but it is not work in the power of the spirit by a soul that's absolutely at peace with god it's not that well but if you and i have a true desire to be really serious about this, and to really, we really have a desire to walk before God, then you and I, like most Christians, won't be able to rest in our spirit until you and I are at peace with God. I mean, you further saying you kill you can kid yourself. You can't you, you can kid others, but you can't kid yourself, and you can't kid God. We can be a kidder. We can put on our masks. We can, we can put on our Christian masks. <laughs> but do we really have, and do we really experience the peace that we have before God in Christ? Well, that's a pretty serious thing. Because the deeper that all those experiences are, those desires to get peace that's really already ours in our position, but we want to experience it. Well, the deeper those experiences are, the better. The better. Why? Because he, Christ, has made peace. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. He has made it. He's made that peace, and it's it's an accomplished fact. And all those exercises, All those things that we go through, all those things are only bringing up those little weeds that are in us to the surface. That's what it's doing. And God is plowing. He's plowing the field of our heart, and he's getting up all those weeds, because those are the things that keep us from experiencing the peace that's ours in our position in Christ. So he's bringing them to the surface. He's plowing to the field. You ever read those scriptures in Jeremiah 4, verse 3? Break up the fallow ground and stop sowing among thorns. (laughs) Start thinking the right way. So God, in His plan, He plows us, His field, to get rid of those weeds so that we can sow in the fact the righteousness that we have in Christ. And again, it says that, and it teaches that again in Hosea 10, verse 7. Sow to yourself in righteousness. And then what? You're going to reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, because it's time to seek the Lord, to seek the truth of the fact of who you are in Christ. It's time to seek the Lord, to seek him until he comes. Till he rains righteousness upon you that's our experience already we are perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ and we should be at peace so all those things that we go through all those gymnastics those exercises those struggles and this sanctification process they become useful and necessary in this way it's to bring up those weeds but they are the crop which is faith They're not. They're not. And it's not what he has brought about in our life through the finished work in John 19, verse 30, but his work is finished. It's already finished. And he has to bring us to that place to realize that in Hebrews 9, verse 26, he appeared once. Now remember in Romans 6, verse 9, he that died once dies no more, death has no more dominion over him and that's ours in Christ that's ours in Christ but he appeared once in the end of the age in Galatians 4.4 4, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and that work that he accomplished that has put away sin is complete and in Colossians 2.10 you and I are complete in him he wants that to be our experience that's why he's got to plow up that fallow ground and get rid of those weeds the doubt the unbelief the disbelief the lack of trust so he has to plow it up and he has to do that in every single one of us it's complete and that you and I are already accepted in Ephesians 1.6 we are already already accepted by God Well, how many still seek it? How many still seek to be accepted when we are already accepted by him? We're accepted in him. And he's proven it through his death. Well, we're accepted. Well, and how do we come to God then? We come to God by him, don't we? Because we're in him. That's how we come to God. We come to him. There is one mediator. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Have we been brought to God as our Father? In John 20, verse 17, Jesus said, He said to Mary, I'm going to give you the first message In, in resurrection. The first resurrection message is this. I go to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now go tell them go tell those disciples so that they can go tell so many so go tell them so in closing that work which put away our sin and dealt with our sins is complete and we are accepted we are already accepted in Ephesians 1 6 so we have to come to God by him and we can because if our sins are not all put away sometimes we think oh we don't have peace because they're not all put away because I'm experiencing them but listen if all of our sins are not put away by his one perfect sacrifice Hebrews ten ten 10 Hebrews 10 14 if not right if not if they're not all put away all of them completely and forever then they never can be but are they for he cannot die again and that he died he put them all away and he did it once and he did it for all those that are in Christ by the one sacrifice one sacrifice or else like in Hebrews 9 verse 26 he must often have suffered but he did it once and he did it in our place He did it once. and Thank God for that. And now we are to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life in Proverbs 4, verse 23. And in Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, in his very mind, so is he. We need to think with him who's done it all. And we do that through the word. But how quickly when did all of this, by the way, take place? What part did you and I have in what Christ did? Tell me, what part did we have in it? When did all that apply to us? Well, we read it in Romans 5, verse 6, when we were ungodly. When we were ungodly, he was given to us. Peace was ours. When we were actively sinning now. In Romans 5, verse 8. When we were active enemies against him, we were reconciled. What part did we play in it? What part did we play in it? And when did it apply to us? When we were godly? (laughs) But how quickly? How quickly, and with every one of us, this can happen with the instinct of self-righteousness, we turn from Christ's work to turn to our own holiness to see if it's there. To see what we are apart from him. Even the desire for you and I to be holy can only be the desire of the new man. Because outside of being in Christ, when did we ever desire to be holy? <laughs> so even the fact that we have that desire, God is telling us, you're in Christ. You know Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Where's our delight? It's in the Lord. And then he gives us the desire. He can only give us what he's already given us in Christ, the new man. But, what do we have to do? We have to humbly learn what we are without him. And by the way, he never condemns us in Romans 8, verse 1. But we have to humbly learn just like the Apostle Paul flipping 411, he had to learn in whatsoever state and the statement, his present condition, feelings or not, to be content because of his position or his standing in Christ. And god is trying in, in our condition he's teaching us who we are in our position so that our condition or our feelings don't govern us but who we are in christ in our position does is that something we have to learn all the time sometimes we're so surprised when we fail Seriously, because we're supposed to be so mature with all this teaching we have. And then when we fail, we're surprised. Is God surprised? Do you think he's surprised? And do you think he sees us outside of Christ? No. He's not surprised because he saw it all happen before he even created us. But before he created us, and while he saw it all happen, He didn't see it outside the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth, the eternal land. Well, does what God God did through Christ, this work, apply to your ungodliness or godliness? Does Does it apply to us? Does God apply it to us? When we live in an improved state or when we improve our condition, Or was it all on us before any of that ever happened? So, what are we trying to do? Are we trying? And do we end up crying or do we receive? Seriously. And we all do that too. All of us. Listen, the desire that we have is right because it's from God. But it's the cart before the horse. Try taking a ride in that baby. Go ahead. Put the cart before the horse and see how far you're going to get. We are looking for holiness to get Christ instead of looking to have Christ to get holiness. Mm -hmm. Got to repeat it because it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Well, again, does the work of Christ apply? Was it applied to us when we were ungodly or when we were godly? Was it applied to us in an improved state? When our feelings all wind up? (laughs) When we were in an absolutely great condition? No. No. That's the wrong road. We're on the wrong road. We're on the wrong road of thinking. Because Christ made peace and it was applied when we were ungodly. God's not interested in our performance. He's interested in you and I receiving what his son performed to him for us on our behalf. That's who we are. It is who we are. And again, you put, we put the cart before the horse, because the cart before the horse is you and I are looking for holiness in ourselves to get Christ <laughs> instead of looking to the fact that we have Christ and He is our holiness. That's Hebrews 2:10 and 11. And that's why he's not ashamed in 2:12 to call us brethren, one with him, with the same life. So we're going to close. We are looking for his help in this present condition that's so bad. We're looking for his help and not to his work for the peace that we desire. It's huge. Mm -hmm. You don't get this from the Reformation teaching. I'm serious. You do not get it. You only get these things. And these growth truths, the positional truth, the foundational truths in Christ, you imagine having that as a solid foundation, then you build your Christian life. But Can you build if that foundation is not laid? Can I build? No. We're looking for his help <laughs> and not to his work for the peace that we desire. What we want is Righteousness. We want to be in a right standing with God, not help. And we have it in Christ. The search leads you and I to see that you and I cannot find in ourselves what we seek. (laughs) You seeking for peace? Are you looking for it in yourself? Are you going to measure it by how you feel or by what you experience or whether you're happy or not or that you have it in Christ? Cart before the horse. Well, what does it lead us to? Well, this is what it leads us to. Romans seven eighteen To will is present with me, but how to perform. Oh boy, uh-uh. Is that word perform? How to perform that which is good, I find go into the self-help book section and into a lot of the Christian book section and they'll tell you how to perform to get it. To will is present with us. But how to perform that, which is good, I find not. What will that do? That will always bring us to the end of ourselves. Thank God. And it will lead you and I through grace knowing that there is no good in us. So don't look there. (laughs) Boy, he has to teach that to us, to ourselves, and to every single relationship that we're in. He has to teach us that. He has to teach us that we only look to Christ's work and not our feelings, not our condition, but only our position, Christ's work. We are to look When we look at ourselves, not at the vessel, but the treasure that's there. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And that's what we're to see in one another. So, Lord, thank you and praise you for this message in Jesus' name.